Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Amen. Wow, man, he does love us. Thanks for leading us today, guys. Thank y'all for serving our body. Thank y'all, man. Appreciate y'all so much. Uh, man, you may have noticed on the announcements that uh, you're like, dude, we're having a, a potluck fellowship next Sunday. Man, why didn't somebody tell me? Well, I just did. <laughs> and uh, man, we were thinking about this several weeks ago, and I was thinking about celebrating. We'll have been in this building one year next week. Can y'all imagine that? It's been crazy. And uh, man, I just thought we needed to celebrate that. I thought we needed to come together and do a fellowship together. And so uh, I was supposed to put that in the announcements and do all that a couple of weeks ago, but I just have to tell you, I simply just didn't, and I forgot. And so uh, I debated on whether we should do it in quick notice, but I thought you guys can handle a week's notice, can't you? And you're Baptists and you like to eat, so I figured, man, come on, right? So bring some food, and, and we'll, if you're new to us, we want you to come, and you'll just go down that hallway there into that other building. There's a, a big area over there. We'll just sit over there and eat, and man, it'll be great. So next Sunday, just come and eat, all right? We're going to celebrate and throw down on some grub, amen? And uh, man, if you want to make something special for me, please do. I'm always open. Uh, whatever you want to throw my way, as long as it isn't a couple of things, like mushrooms or something nasty like that. Um, amen. Uh, what's wrong with mushrooms? What's right with mushrooms? Amen. Well, I need to preach that out of you, girl. All right. So, <laughs> uh, man, do, do you, can you believe what's happening today? We're going to finish if the Lord tarries. He may come get me right now. And I don't know about y'all, but he could get me right now. And uh, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians over a year. Did y'all know that? It was one of the first books I wanted to go through when we stepped in this building. And so I'm just going to tell you the Lord's honest truth. First Corinthians has probably been the most difficult book I've ever preached through. It has pressed me. It has challenged me. But man, has it been so fruitful for my own soul. I pray that it's been fruitful for you. I pray that we have learned and grown together. Um, and so, man, we're going to come to an end. I'm kind of sad to see it go. <laughs> Uh, so we'll preach again uh, next year. No, just teasing. Um, this morning, though, I want to focus in on opportunities. Uh, someone once said this. Listen carefully. They said, God provides great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Isn't that true? God sometimes provides great opportunities disguised as impossible situations. I mean, you've probably been there. You may be there this morning. You know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like something that happened in Rockwall, Texas. There was a, the homecoming parade of Rockwall High School. And, uh, man, there, there were float was kind of coming by. And, man, the float with all these beautiful people on it and other things, you know, the fire trucks and all those things are happening. But this lady named Nicole was... They had stands there, grandstands there, lined the streets, and Nicole was in the stands watching the parade come by, and her little two-year-old son Clark was with her, 
and they were throwing some candy out, and Clark got a piece of the candy, and he kind of went back, and he was watching the parade with his mom, and she was just being so uh, enthralled with what was happening. She didn't realize that Clark began to choke on a piece of candy. And he wasn't coughing. He wasn't acting like he couldn't breathe. But she kind of noticed that he got really still. And she looked over at him, and he was turning blue. And in her panic, she, she didn't know what to do. She was just a young mother. She, she had nothing. And then that moment of seeing her son turning blue, and then she noticed that he wasn't breathing, she just screamed out, Somebody please help me! And when she screamed that out, the float that was going by happened to be a float with one of the cheerleaders from the football team on it. And this precious cheerleader, her name was Tyra, Tyra had been trained and knew exactly what to do. She heard that mother's call, and exactly the time it was passing by, she heard it. She jumped off that float, and she went up, and she grabbed little two-year-old Clark, and she gave him three hard thrusts in the back, and it dislodged that candy. The candy came out. Clark pretended like nothing had ever happened. The mother was just pure white from fear. And she said these words in an interview on the news afterwards. She said, you know what? Tyra saved my son's life. It's true, right? I mean, think about that. Think about what happens when there's an impossible situation it can become a great opportunity for somebody who's trained, somebody who's prepared, and somebody who's ready. The thing about that is, is that Tyra was trained. She was prepared. She was ready. But think about this. If she was trained, prepared, and ready, but if she had never responded, what would have happened, right? And so, you know, you're thinking, well, why are you telling me that? Where are we headed this morning? Well, Paul's at the end of 1 Corinthians. And typically at the end of Paul's letters, we call them epistles. At the end of those letters, Paul usually goes on this thing of explaining what kind of what's going on with him, how he's feeling, how he's doing, where he's been going, those kind of things. He, he gives a lot of greetings to a lot of people that's kind of helped him in ministry. And if you're looking at all that, you're kind of like, man, how does all this tie together? Like, what's he really saying? And I really believe here in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul's tying it all together by saying this, hey, listen, church, I've trained you in theology, I've prepared you for how to live for the Lord, and I'm going to give you some opportunities to do so, but it's going to be up to you to respond to what the Lord has taught you. It's going to be up to you now to respond. You're going to be given the opportunities to go do, and I'm telling you as a church, we're going to be given the opportunities to do everything that's in the book of 1 Corinthians, but it's going to be up to us to respond. But typically, it's going to come disguised as these impossible situations, and we're going to have these great opportunities. So I wonder if you, I know you're probably tired of doing this, but I just don't know any other way to do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I wonder if you just turn there and just rise to your feet as I read to you God's holy word. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it'll appear on the screen behind me if you want to keep up or look in your own Bible or there's some Bibles in the seats, underneath the seats kind of around you. 1 Corinthians 16, the Bible says this, now Paul says, concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is, 
excuse me, fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. For I don't wish to, to see you just, just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why, Paul? For, for a wide door, for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. If Timothy comes, see that, that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encourage him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they were devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord. And the church that is in her house, all the brethren greet you. And then here's how I tell my wife. We just have to obey the Bible. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Now, there's some troubling verses, man. If anyone does not love the Lord... He is to be accursed. Maranatha, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Let's dig into this. We got a lot, we got a lot to cover in a short time. I know what you're saying. Pastor, you've never preached through a whole chapter in your life. What are you doing? I'm ready. I'm prepared. Look there in verse 2 just for a moment. I mean, verse 12. Verse 12, I just want you to go back there. It says, hey, concerning Apollos, I encourage him to come. But it says, but he will come when he has opportunity. You know what that word opportunity means? It literally means a good season. So in other words, opportunities are a good season for us to do what God has prepared for us to do. He will give us opportunities to trust him and obey him. And so, so what are these opportunities? What are they? Well, first of all, we see that I will be given opportunities to meet needs. You and I will be given opportunities to meet needs. Verses 1 through 4, he says, hey, there's a collection going on, and, and there's things going on. I'm telling you guys in Corinth and in Galatia, on the first day of the week, put aside and save as you may prosper so that no collections be made. And then when I arrive, whomever I prove, I will send letters with them to carry your gift. And here's the, the, the object, the church in Jerusalem. And if it's fitting for me to go also, then, I, then, then, I'll, then I'll go too. He's talking about this collection for the saints. Now, please know that Paul is not talking about the tithe here. He's not talking about a normal offering. This is a special offering for those who are hurting in the church in Jerusalem. Now, 
We don't know what's happened in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, we just know that they're severely in need of other churches to come help them. Some, some scholars think that maybe it was because of the famine that came and there were just lasting results that they just kind of had no, no food and so they were just desperate for that. Other scholars believe it was because the church in Corinth was being persecuted so heavily they couldn't get jobs and so therefore they couldn't provide and so they were just destitute, just looking for anybody to help them. Other scholars believe that the church at Corinth became so inwardly focused they stopped reaching out and we know that when a church gets inwardly focused it begins to die and therefore the resources weren't there. No matter we know this, that they were in very dire straits and they needed the rest of the churches of God to help them. Acts tells us that the church in Antioch received a collection. Here we know that Paul tells the church in Galatia and the church in Corinth to collect that. And if we look a little closer, we're going to see some principles concerning meeting needs. I didn't put this in the notes. I figured you could just maybe keep up with me. But first of all, when we're meeting needs, we have to first of all know the purpose. The purpose of meeting that need, well, here, the purpose was to meet the needs of the saints. It was for the church in Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that we're to meet people's needs. Galatians tells us that we're to, to meet people's needs, but, but first and primarily, foremost, we're to take care of those in the household of God. And that's what Paul is demonstrating, that, that when you and I go to meet people's needs, the first place we should look is within our own body. That's something about that. Well, then, that's maybe the purpose, Paul, but when are we to do it? So then he talks about the period that we're supposed to do it. He says on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday. So the church, because Paul's preached about the resurrection, right? Remember that, 15, that the church then began to, to assimilate on Sunday rather than Saturday as used to be uh, on the Sabbath. Because of the resurrection, the church began to meet on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. And every week, Paul says that you're supposed to have planned, you're supposed to have thought about this, a way that you can set aside some things and then bring it to the church every week to meet people's needs. That's when we're supposed to do this. It's an act of worship, really. Well, then who is to do this, Paul? I mean, who? Well, Paul says there, he says, and each of you is to lay aside something. This isn't just something that the wealthy are supposed to do. This isn't just something that, that you do when you feel like it. Paul says when there's a need, that each of us should give something to help meet that need. Well, then where are we to kind of bring that? Paul says that you're supposed to come and bring it to the church. We're set aside, and the collection will be taken up at the church because he doesn't want to say, hey, there's a big need, and then y'all go home, and then y'all figure out how, maybe how to bring it back. Paul says, when I come through, just keep bringing that thing to the storehouse. Just keep bringing it to the church, and then when I come, I'll collect it. Well, then how much are we to give when it comes to meeting needs? Like, is there, there an amount? I mean, what am I supposed to do? Well, Paul says, each one is to give as he prospers. So that's interesting. So in other words, we're to really give out of thanksgiving for how much God has already given us. And that way we can give to others. Well then, Paul, uh, so those are some good things. But man, who's going to manage that? I mean, who's going to make sure it gets to where it's supposed to go? Well then, Paul says there, hey, you determine who these men are going to be that will kind of take that down to the church in Jerusalem. There's some accountability. There's some, some trustworthiness here about who's going to be oversight with the money. It's counted. 
And, and then it's, it's taken down there. And the same thing that we do here, uh, just to help you understand what happens, is every week those ushers come forward and you give to us. It's taken those men, you'll see them go through here because the church safe is right around the corner. And so they lock that money in there. And then on Monday, some men come up to the church and they go into a room and they count it and they verify it. And there's a deposit made. And then all that information gets put into your financial report that comes out every month. So you can see exactly what's being happened with every single dollar that you give here. Because that's what we do. Then Paul says, well, then how should we want to give? Well, Paul says that, that man, if this collection's taken up in such a way that it's really going to honor the Lord... I want to go with you to present it to the church. In other words, by implication, and and this is totally my opinion, by implication, Paul is saying, listen, if you guys don't take up enough money that it's going to be embarrassing, I don't know that I want to go present that to the church in Jerusalem. But, But I want you guys to take up enough money that it's actually going to honor the Lord and honor those people. You see, you and I are going to be given lots of opportunities to meet needs. Are there needs here in our church this morning? How many of you would say there's a need here? Is there a need? How many of you, no, I'm just teasing, but you see, you know there's needs. And so, man, you're going to be given that opportunity to meet that need, and it's going to be up to you to respond. But but here's something that I've learned. Man, when I was in the military, I was stationed overseas in Germany, and, and I was trained in extreme weather, especially winter weather warfare. Uh, If you will remember, uh, that was when I was there, it was back in the days of the Cold War and the Russian and all that stuff, and the wall came down, and man, it it was a very tense place to be, and we were trained of how to fight in sub below temperatures, and so I was very familiar with with how to do things in the cold. Well, my wife and I had been given an opportunity to go to Switzerland to see Chuck Swindoll. Anybody remember who Chuck Swindoll is? Well, we went to see Chuck Swindoll with some folks in, in our community of church people that we, we attended with. And while we were there, we, <laughs> this is crazy, we went up in the Swiss Alps, way up in the Swiss Alps, and you would sled down mountains, and it would take you about an hour and a half to get down the mountain on a sled going 90 miles an hour. It is nuts. And these buses would come up the roads while you're sledding down, and it was just and your chicken. I mean, I'm just telling you, it was great. It was awesome. Well, you know, I had a little bit winter, more winter gear because I had some military help with me, but my precious wife, she really didn't. And as we're sledding down that, that mountain and then you get on a bus and you just go back up and you do it again, man, her feet got so bad. She was really afraid that she had frostbite and she was literally like, almost crying in pain. And she says, Steve, we got to do something. Well, because I had been trained and knowing what to do with this, I instantly said, hey, let's go to the van. Let's, let's, let's kind of go in there. Let's get you a little bit warm. And so here's what I'm going to do is I took off her shoes very gingerly because it hurt like crazy. And I knew that the best thing that I could do in that moment was to take and put her ice cold feet underneath my arms. That's, that's the first thing. That, it's one of the warmest places on your body. And so, man, you want to talk about love. (laughs) Wow, did she have some cold feet. But that wasn't even the thought on my mind. I was just worried about my wife. And so I put her feet underneath my arms, and I just kind of there. And, man, we warmed those things up. Well, here's the truth of the matter. By warming my wife's feet up, her body heat helped warm me up, and my body heat also helped warm her up. And inside that place, man, we stayed kind of warm from each other's body heat. 
here's why I'm telling you that. A lot of times when it comes to giving, and we know it's going to cost us, we get cold feet. And I want you to know, man, that the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, it says something, Acts chapter 20, it says something amazing. He says, and everything I showed you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than what church? It is truly more blessed to give than it is to receive. And you know that you're going to be given those opportunities. So when the Lord gives you an opportunity to give, man, don't get cold feet about that. Just give. And watch what the Lord will do with that. So is there a need that the Lord is calling you to meet? Is there somebody that the Lord has been putting in your life that you know that you're supposed to give to? If so, man, just respond. You'll be given opportunities to meet needs. Secondly, you'll be given opportunities to build relationships. Be given opportunities to build relationships. In chapter 16, verses 5, Paul says, hey, I'm going to go through Macedonia. And then he says in 6, perhaps I'll stay with you or spend the winter. And then he says, but, but I don't wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. He's basically saying, listen, I want to come see you. And specifically, I want to come see you when I know I can spend some time. I'm currently in Ephesus. I'm going to go through Macedonia. I'm going to preach there. And Paul could have taken, listen, he, he could have left Ephesus and taken the first boat across the Aegean Sea and went to Corinth and spent a few minutes there and just continued on his way. But that wasn't what he wanted to do. He says, I didn't want to just come by and say hello and leave. I wanted to spend some time with you. And part of what it means to be in the body of Christ is connecting with others and spending time together with them. That really means building relationships. Think about this, though. In the context of 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian church was full of sin. It was full of divisions. It was full of factions. And there were a whole lot of people who didn't like Paul. A whole lot of people who didn't like Paul. Paul could have done anything. He could have made up any excuse, legitimate excuses. Hey, I've got ministry to do. I've got to go on to other places. I don't really have time to kind of be with you. But Paul says... Rather than skipping around you, I desire to come. And I don't want to just pass you by. I want to spend time with you. Let me tell you something so simplistic, and you're going to think maybe I'm foolish for saying it. But, but listen to this statement. Time takes time. Did you know that? Time takes time. There's no substitute for what time can do. Trust is built on time. Forgiveness, healing is based on time. And I'm telling you today, building relationships take time. You know that, and I know that. Speaking to Chuck Swindoll, while I was at that conference, he told about this story, and I thought I'd share it again with you. He talked about this family of porcupines, and this family of porcupines lived out in the very cold climate. And, and so at night, when the temperatures would drop below zero, these porcupines would, would kind of have to huddle together to keep warm. And then they would come together to keep warm. But surely, after given a few minutes, they started poking one another with each of their quills. And then they would have to separate. And then they would go get cold again, and they would realize that, and they would have to come back together, and they would begin to prod each other and poke each other, and they'd separate. So all throughout the entire night, these porcupines just got apart, got together, got apart, and got together. And he says this. He says, you and I often suffer from the porcupine syndrome. And that is this. He says, you and I know that we need each other, 
But more often than not, we needle each other. And irregardless, relationships are messy. Relationships, sometimes you get hurt. People do you the wrong way. They say the wrong things. They they don't meet your needs. They do that. But Paul is saying, listen, the church at Corinth was messy. And man, they got together and they didn't do some things right. But Paul is saying, because if we don't figure out how to do this, we'll all die in the cold. We have to figure out the way to come together. And the only way that's going to happen is Paul says, I come to spend some time with you. You and I are called to build relationships. And here at FBC, Pastor Justin, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you up here, but could you just stand up just for a second? I just want to identify you for, for our guests who may not have caught when you were up here. Pastor Justin is our discipleship pastor here at our church, and he's over our, our community groups or our growth groups. And the purpose of those growth groups is for people to spend time getting to know one another and doing life together. So if you want to find a real practical way here at our church to build relationships, it would be by contacting Pastor Justin and say, hey, man, I want to find out ways that I can spend time with others. That'd be a great way to do that. So here's another thing, man. I'll be given opportunities to reach lostness. Not only just meeting needs and building relationships, but reach lostness. Paul says in verse 8 and 9, he says this, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service is open to me and there are many adversaries. Paul was in Asia Minor, that's Ephesus, and he wanted to stay through Pentecost. And, and the reason he's mentioning that is in their mind, they knew that that meant the spring. So, so Paul is saying, listen, I'm going to stay there through the spring in Ephesus. Then I'm going to go to Macedonia. And then in the winter, I want to come to Corinth. But we've got to ask ourselves the question, why is it that Paul wanted to stay in Ephesus? Well, verse 9 answers that. He says, for a wide door of effective service is open to me, watch, not but, and there are many adversaries. You need to know that Ephesus was a very pagan and very idolatrous city. Yet Paul says a wide door for effective service is open. This door that, that Paul is talking about, this idea of service, is that Paul was actually able to reach so many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ there in Ephesus. And Paul says, listen, there are not just some people that don't want this. There are many people that are my adversaries there. An adversary means there in the Greek, it means literally to set in place against. So there were many people that were being set in place against Paul and against his gospel. But yet Paul says, in the midst of that, there's a wide open door to share the gospel. And that while I'm sharing it, there are many people who are set in place to oppose me. Let me just say it differently, like my preaching professor taught me many years ago. He would say this. He said, opposition to the gospel is always opportunity for the gospel. Opposition to the gospel is always an opportunity for the gospel. You know this. If a believer is determined to reach people around them with the gospel, you can count it, you can mark it down, there's going to be opposition. That doesn't mean, though, that the door is closed for you. <laughs> it could be that the opposition is the very door that God would use to reach people with the gospel. You and I, maybe me, we give up way too easily. We think that opposition means there is an opportunity. 
Yet the opposition may very well prove to be the opportunity. You see, the Lord's desire in his heart is that people hear the gospel and he's commanded us to be about sharing the gospel and reaching lostness. Thus, you and I will be given opportunities to reach people. It reminds me of a story of of some shoe salesmen that were sent to a, a remote place up in the northern parts of the United States of America. And this one shoe salesman was sent by the company uh, to, to maybe bring some shoes to these people. And so when he got there, on the very first day, he looked around and he, he kind of surveyed the entire city and he noticed something interesting. He noticed that not a single person in the city wore shoes. Nobody was wearing shoes. So he immediately contacts the company. He says, listen, I don't know what you guys did, but nobody is interested in shoes here. I'm going somewhere else. Well, the company said, hey, you do what you got to do. They immediately sent another salesman there. That salesman shows up and he's like, man, nobody's wearing shoes. He calls the company, says, hey, listen, you guys are not going to believe this. Nobody's wearing shoes here. Send as many shoes as you possibly can. This market is booming. It's all about perspective, isn't it? You see it as opposition or do you see it as opportunity? Nobody's interested in hearing my good news of the gospel. Or could it be that you're there to share the gospel with everybody who don't even think they need the gospel? You're going to be given that. So let me ask you this very quickly, maybe even very privately. I wonder, are you praying for and looking for opportunities to share the gospel? Because I promise you, If you're looking for them, God will give them to you. But I can also promise you this. Once you do, the opposition will come. But Jesus will be faithful. You're given opportunities to meet needs, build relationships, reach lostness. And then fourthly, you'll be given opportunities to encourage the weary. Encourage the weary. Verses 10, Paul says, hey, Timothy's coming. See to it that he has no reason to fear. He's doing the Lord's work. Don't let anybody despise him, but send him out in peace. Apollos, hey, I encourage him to come. He's going to come when he has time. And then down in verse 15, he says, hey, you guys know Stephanas and, man, man, how these folks have devoted themselves to ministry. Hey, honor these people. And I rejoice over the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what is lacking on your part. Now pay attention to verse 18. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. This kind of reads like a roll call of people involved in his ministry. He commends people, and he encourages them and thanks God for them. And as I've said there, he gives this list of these people, but then in verse 18 he says, for they have refreshed my spirit. That, that literally means, that word to refresh literally means to give rest in. Why would Paul use that word to give rest in? Because I'm going to tell you, all those people, including Paul, were very weary because they had been serving the Lord faithfully and giving everything that they had. And they weren't tired of the ministry. They were tired in the ministry. Big difference. And so we're going to give them this opportunity, like Paul has. Some people were sent to him to refresh him, and now he wants to send Timothy uh, to other places to refresh other people. But these people, these even these church planters, Priscilla, they, they, they come and, and refreshed his spirit. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe I'm goofy. I don't know. Maybe I need to lose my man card. I don't know what's going on. But, 
But man, I like to watch baking shows. Do I have anybody out there that can identify with me? Thank y'all. What a blessing. Y'all are my friends. You know, maybe I'm missing it, but, but I've been watching these baking shows, and I've, I've learned something. To bake a really good cake, you don't really know, you don't need to know how to really get the batter right. You don't have to know how to follow a recipe. If you just throw some stuff in a pan and you just put it in the oven and that bad boy comes out and looks like a cake, you're golden on these shows. <laughs> because here's what's happening. The icing is what wins you the baking show. I'm just telling you. The icing covers up all the mistakes. It seals all the cracks. It makes it taste sweeter. It gives it luster and appeal. Man, the icing, if you get the icing wrong, it doesn't matter what your cake tastes like, man. They're going to nail you. You know, that got me to thinking. I think encouragement is the icing on the cake in relationships. I think the icing is what covers up all the mistakes. I think encouragement is what does that in our relationships. I think when there's gaps missing and and ends didn't quite meet, that encouragement is like that. It kind of covers up that stuff. It fills in those gaps. That icing, when when our relationship's kind of going a little bit off, that, that encouragement is the icing that makes it taste sweeter. That encouragement is what makes our relationships bright. It's what makes them shine. So my question to you today is, is, man, is there somebody in your life that's weary that you can refresh today? Is there somebody you can give a little icing to? Is there somebody, man, that the Lord may have laid on your heart to give some icing to? Next, the last thing we're going to learn this morning is I'll be given opportunities to strengthen my faith given opportunities to strengthen my faith. There in verse 13, Paul says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. Paul gives these four rapid fire commands. He says, hey, be on the alert. That means to be watchful. It means to focus. It means to constantly be looking. Stand firm. We've covered that last week. That means don't let anything move you. And then he says, act like men. Well, that's not just saying that, that only the men need to act like men. He's speaking to a mixed audience. And, and really, as you study that phrase, what Paul is saying is just, hey, listen, be mature. Don't be selfish and don't be childlike. Be mature. Act like men. Act like grown people in the faith. And then be strong. What's interesting, though, about that word be strong is, is it's not in the active voice like the rest are. It's in the passive voice. In other words, it could be better translated this way. And you yourselves be strengthened. Well, that's interesting. How would we do that? Well, this means that the Lord himself is the one that would strengthen us. So we're to be strong, and we're to be on the alert, and we're to stand firm, and we're to act like men because of our relationship of Christ doing that in us. And that's what Christ is always after, isn't it? He's always after growing our faith, because without faith, it is what? It is impossible to please God, and God wants us to please him, so he's always going to give us opportunities to strengthen our faith. And the way that we do that is we just constantly keep going back to the Lord. We constantly strengthen with his strength. Man, I guess I'm going to 
tell you something here that you probably are going to look down on me about, but I just want you to know this, man. I would not be a good six to seven-year-old basketball coach, especially the little boys. Have you ever seen six to seven-year-old boys try to play basketball? Have you ever watched a coach of six to seven-year-olds trying to coach a little boy's basketball game? Guys, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you go to a little boy's basketball game like that, and, and the coach is there, and listen, the little boys are, are doing, they're doing flips. Some of them are playing freeze tag. Some of them think it's football, and it's just tackle whoever's got the ball. Some of them are just spinning in circles. They don't even know why they're there. Some of them are over and they got Pokemon cars and they're just trading with the other team. Some of them don't even know why they're there. And then you just got this one kid who just wants to take the ball. He thinks it's dodgeball and he's just pegging people. If you don't know what six to seven-year-old boys, but, but listen, I was at a game like that watching and this one coach was just like, focus, Brian, focus, Timothy, just focus, focus, man, focus, son, focus, focus, focus. <laughs> And I was like, bro, these boys don't know what the fuck is on. They don't know that they're supposed to dribble that ball. They don't even know where their own goal is. They don't know that when you go out of bounds that you lose. They don't know to focus on passing the ball and looking for, for where they're a teammate. They don't know what to focus on. It made me think about this, you know, and it would be, really strange if the Lord just said, hey, focus on being alert, focus on standing firm in the faith, focus on being like men, and focus on being strong, and none of us really even knew how to do that. That's why I want you to look back in this little prepositional phrase. It's the key. In verse 13, he says, stand firm. What does your Bible say? In the what? Stand firm in the faith. See, see, how you do all that is, is you've got to put your faith, in other words, your trust and your confidence in the Lord Jesus. That's how you get strengthened in your faith, and you will be given opportunities to be stripped of everything that's not Jesus. That doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? Well, that's why we encouraged you first. So I wonder, man, I wonder are you going through a time, and you're really wondering, why is the Lord testing my faith? Because what looks like an impossible situation right now is one of the greatest opportunities you're going to have to grow. Lastly, very quickly, I'll be given opportunities to demonstrate love. To demonstrate love. Look in verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. It's interesting because 16 is right after 13. And chapter 13, if Paul, remember, we covered this, but he says, hey, it doesn't matter how spiritually gifted you are. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how really good you are at anything. If you don't have love, it all amounts to nothing. I don't know if you remember, but when we preached that chapter, I took a little easel here and I said, hey, whatever we're doing is always multiplied by love in the kingdom of God. And so if I have all these talents and I have all these skills and, and, and all this, but I don't have love, you multiply what you have times zero love. And you know in math, any times zero is what? It's a zero. That, that's what Paul is saying. No matter what I'm doing, if it isn't saturated in love, it amounts to nothing. 
And Paul's saying, listen, all this stuff I've just taught you, all this encouragement, all this kind of growing, in the, all this stuff that I'm just laying out there for you, it will mean nothing if it isn't done in love. Building relationships, if it isn't done in love. It's not meeting people's needs, if it isn't done in love. This whole chapter, everything is multiplied by love, and so if I have not love, then I really have nothing. Now, I'm going to show you something here. You might not be able to see it in the English, but I'm going to show it to you that it's in the original Greek. There, when Paul says, let everything you be done, done in love, that's the word agape. You may know that word. It means sacrificial giving love, always putting the needs of somebody else first. It's a, it's a very fervent love for God, which leads to fervent love for people. But, it, but it's a very, very, very sacrificially oriented kind of love. Paul says it's that kind of love that everything needs to be saturated in. It's the kind of love that takes initiative. It's the kind of love that that doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's long-suffering. It's patient. So in other words, what Paul is doing, pretend just for a moment that, that I had a marker in my hand and I could draw a circle right here on the stage. I could draw a circle right here. Paul is saying, listen, whatever you do, you've got to step into that circle called love And everything that you do has to go out from that circle. Everything that you do has to be done in love and from love. Does God do everything that he does in love? I heard a couple of people. You don't sound very convincing. I think he does. But see, here's the thing that we maybe misinterpret. Sometimes, even though God does everything he does in love, God does a lot of things I don't understand. Sometimes God does things the way that I would never do them. Sometimes God does things and it actually even makes me mad. But he still does it in love. And it's possible for us to do things in love that people may not understand that may not be the way people would do it, or that may even upset people. So just doing things in love doesn't mean that everything's just going to be all hunky-dory. Because he says there, in verse 21, he says, hey, this greeting is in my own hand. And and, and so now Paul is moving to to write the last part of the letter by his own hand. He would have had an amanuensis writing. In other words, somebody else writing everything he was dictating up until that point. And then he switches the word love. Watch here. He he doesn't use agape in verse 22. He says, now, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Now, this is super interesting to me. And then down in verse 24, he switches back to agape. He says, now, my love for you. So, So what's Paul doing here? How do we explain then verse 22? Well, I think the understanding of these two different uses of this verb helps us make sense of what Paul means here. He did this with Peter. Jesus did this with Peter, and now Paul's doing it because he learned this. When he says there, if anyone does not love the Lord, he uses the word phileo. In other words, if anyone doesn't even have a friendship love for God, he's to be accursed. You remember when when Peter denied the Lord Jesus, he, he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Hey, Peter, do you love me? And then Jesus switches and says, hey, Peter, do you even have a friendship with me? And then Peter says, well, Jesus, you know that I at least have that. 
And what Paul is saying here is, is listen, and this is just the truth. If you don't even like the Lord Jesus, there's no way you're going to really learn to love him. If you don't want anything to do with the Lord Jesus, like if you're just like, I don't even want him in my life. I don't even want anybody telling me about him. You don't even want to be interested enough to be even a friend with Jesus. Then the only thing that's left for you is utter destruction. Let them be accursed. And then he says, Maranatha. In the context, I believe what Paul is saying is, Jesus, these kind of people have infiltrated the church at Corinth. They don't even have a friendship love for the Lord, and they're causing mass destruction. Even so, Lord, come and take them out. Even so, come and remove them from this body. And then Paul turns around and says, but for those of you who do, man, my love for you and our love for the Lord, may it be with you all. And then he says in verse 23, the only reason that any of us can love is because we've been given the grace of the Lord and we understand that. Seems like something unloving to say, but you know this to be true. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us lots of grace. So maybe I'm asking this question as the band begins to come. Is God possibly speaking to your heart about somebody that's really difficult to love? Is God going to give you an opportunity? Are you in an opportunity right now? Are you in a situation right now where you could possibly demonstrate his love? Because God's love is always sacrificial. You know, it was at the end of a sermon much like this one. At a church down in Florida. Well, the pastor stood during the invitation like I'm doing now, and he said this. He says, I wonder if there's anybody today who would say to the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, use me at every opportunity for your name's sake and for the sake of the gospel. Would anybody be willing today to come to this altar and just say, Lord, use me at every opportunity for your name's sake and the gospel's sake? And sure enough, out of the back came a precious young lady, and we're going to call her Martha. Martha came forward, and she prayed that prayer And she was weeping and she just surrendered and said, Lord, use me. Take any, every opportunity you have and just use me for your namesake and for the gospel's sake. And on her way home, she was hit by an 18-wheeler. They rushed her and life-flighted her to the hospital there in Florida. And she was on a ventilator and, man, a lot of brain bleeding. And she had a lot of things. And she was just hanging on by a thread. Her mother came to the hospital room and her mother began to sit with her and hold her hand. And her mother began to pray to Jesus like he was sitting in the room. Just pleading, but also praising the Lord because the Lord had been so good to them. And if the Lord wanted to take her daughter home, that was up to him. She was going to worship him. Though you even slay me, Lord, I'm going to worship you. And she just began to talk to Jesus. She began to sing songs to Jesus with her daughter, just holding her daughter's hand, just singing songs, praising the Lord Jesus for how good he had been and how awesome he is. 
She began to read the Bible, and she started in the Gospels, and she just started reading the stories of Jesus, and, and she would get to those places where the daughters would be dead, or they'd be in needing of, of something, and the Lord Jesus would just heal and raise from the dead, and she would just say, Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you please do this with my daughter? And she just began to do that kind of thing. All that, well, meanwhile, they were in a semi-private room. And there was a curtain that separated the, the two beds. And in the bed beside Miss Martha was, was another mom. And her daughter was dying of cancer. And she overheard this mom praying for, for Martha. She, she overheard that day after day. Well, miraculously, Martha began to wake up. And she began to come to and the doctors begin to say, something incredible has happened. We can't explain it, but, but I think we're, we're going to need to send your daughter home. The, the, she is well. But in between the time that she got well and the time she went in the hospital, Martha's mother was able to lead that little girl and that mom both to the Lord Jesus. You're saying, Pastor, why do you tell me that? Because she stood there in that church that day. And she said, Lord, use me at every opportunity for your name's sake and the gospel's sake. So what I'm going to tell you today is, if you really mean business with Jesus, I can't promise you that every opportunity will be good. I can't promise you that it's going to work out the way you want to, but it will work out for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. I wonder if that's your heart today, is that you would want your life song to be one that, hey, at every opportunity, Lord Jesus, I was available and I responded when you gave them to me. I wonder if you would stand to your feet with me. And I want to just tell you right now that there's an amazing opportunity that each of you have been given today. Do you know what it is? You've been given the opportunity to be forgiven of all your sin, to have a home in heaven, to have God as your father, to have brothers and sisters in Christ as your family. All things old have passed away. All things can become new. You can be brought from death to life today. God gives you an amazing opportunity. And all you have to do is call on the name of Jesus to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus. I wonder if that's you today, when we're praying and when we're singing, maybe you just want to come up and talk to us. Others, maybe you just want to pray that prayer like that, that young lady did. Lord, anything that you want to do with my life, every opportunity, use me. I don't know what you want to do, but I'm going to pray. We're going to sing and you come. Lord, thank you for the opportunities you give us. May we be faithful with what you give us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as we sing.